Lord for me and for the opportunity to speak for him today and, and teach today by his word. And the feeling for today that the Lord gave me even this morning, <clears throat> not even when I was preparing at home, but when I got into the space earlier today, is... Um, is similar to a story from the book of Numbers that we're not going to read um, because of our young kids in the in the congregation. So I'm just going to summarize the story. It's in Numbers 25, and um, God's people are in this valley. They're traveling and they're in this valley, and and they um, they begin to commit specific sin with a group of um, women, Moabite women. They start um, mixing, if you will, with this group of women that God has commanded them not to mix with. And um, as is often the case with sin and disobedience and compromise, one sin always leads to the next and one compromise always leads to the next and one act of disobedience always leads to the next. So as they sinned with these women, it wasn't long before they started to, the women started to turn their hearts and they started to worship the, these pagan women's gods, false gods. And um, the Bible speaks plainly that God's anger is aroused against them and he just starts killing them. And um, in the midst of Moses leading the people to uh, repent of this sin, um, one of the Israelites literally marches right basically through like what would be almost like a church service. Moses has assembled everybody. And, um, and this guy literally kind of, I picture him walking with his arm around one of these women that they've been commanded not to, not to be with, m marches her right through the congregation and into his tent. And, um, so someone sees this, a man named Phineas, and and he ends up grabbing a spear and following them into the tent and killing them both with the, with the spear. And um, the Bible says that at the time that Phineas did that, God's anger against the people stopped, and the and the people that were dying stopped. And so somehow, some way, this act of Phineas to expose sin and kill it, in this case, very literally, um, God, God was affected by that. And his anger relented because of that. And people were saved because of that. And so... Um, that's sort of the, um, that's sort of, if, if I can be honest, that's sort of my encouragement this morning and my own permission this morning um, because I just believe I'm supposed to kill a couple of idols in the same way. And, um, and, and uh, we know that we no longer battle against flesh and blood. I no longer have to take a spear and kill um, in the natural, but in the spirit, I think this is a, supposed to be a, a slaying of, of 
two golden calves that that are causing the body of Christ to sin and um, so I've been praying all morning for the boldness to speak the truth and to um, speak what God once said and for everyone that's going to hear it to hear it and respond as the Spirit leads. So all this, um, all this is coming from Pentecost, and if I can work backwards right now, we're talking about Sabbath. Um, the commandment is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's commandment number four of the Ten Commandments. The three that come before it will be um, a part of today's teaching as well. But as we're talking about sin... It is within the context of, expo I'm sorry, as we're talking about Sabbath, it is within the context of exposing sin. And the willingness and even the obligation for a pastor to deal with sin congregationally, deal with sin in his own life, deal with sin in his family, deal with sin in his friends, um, it really is the, the mark of a of a good pastor of a of a true pastor that loves and I've been convicted as I shared um, a week or two ago that there have been times when I've been unwilling to do that not courageous enough to do that and what the Lord has shown me is that it's not about courage it's about love and how real love is expressed especially from a pastor standpoint by leaving the 99 and going after the one and by exposing and dealing with sin because it's ultimately the enemy attacking one of ours. And to ignore it, to justify it, to turn a blind eye to it is unacceptable. So I'm reconvicted and recommitted to being a, a better pastor and that requires me to have at times difficult conversations in, in particular when it relates to exposing sin it's difficult because we love sin unfortunately we all have blind spots we all are deceived in certain areas in certain areas our flesh is very strong and when those areas when the spirit leads that we confront those areas, my commitment to each of you is to be obedient and my request of each of you is to do the same back for me. So as we're talking about exposing sin, that's really within the context of a boldness that we have been praying for and that boldness is an outflow of agape love. Agape love is not unconditional love. It is love that is not deterred by conditions and it is very specifically an act of will in alignment and for the purpose of accomplishing God's will. So this is not feelings. I don't feel like t talking about what I'm gonna talk about today. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna talk about it. It's not gonna feel good. It's not gonna feel good for me. It's not gonna feel good for anyone that's convicted by it. But this, make no mistake, this is an act of love. And I'm sharing today as an act of love.
love that we've prayed to walk in. Because the agape love is within the context of, of each of us being a faithful witness. And at the end of the day, that is the only thing each of us are called to. If you are purchased by the blood, you have been purchased for one reason, and that is to be a faithful witness. A faithful witness in the earth that by your life, by your words, by your love, others can come to know that God is real and they can be reconciled unto him through Christ. So to be a faithful witness requires us to do all of these things. And the bottom line is none of us are equipped to do it. None of us are qualified to do it. And in our own, in our flesh, none of us will do it. So Pentecost as a holy day is literally and specifically a day in which the body of Christ, the people of God are empowered from on high to do what we won't do or can't do. And so we prayed on Pentecost to be empowered. Did we not? And I'll remind you one more time that prayer has been answered because God is faithful. So each of us have been empowered to be a faithful witness, specifically this, this season or this year to walk in agape love, that agape love will be the opening of our mouth so that God can speak through us. It will be a boldness that is evidenced and will be recognized by the rest of the world that they have been with Jesus. When Peter stood before the Sanhedrin and spoke with boldness, what was their response? These are uneducated men. They've been with Jesus. So praise God, we want to we be recognized in the same way. The only thing that will be seen by the unbelieving world within the body of Christ that will be believable is boldness. Boldness is believable. Boldness communicates something. And so the boldness that we are dealing with right now or, or, or being encouraged to, to use right now is in exposing sin. And the first sin that we're talking about is the breaking of the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. So, um, so as we spoke about the last couple of weeks, um, when the prophets were exposing sin, the single sin that they exposed the most by name was Sabbath, the breaking of Sabbath, or specifically the profaning of the Sabbath. And um, one of the things that the Lord really was, um, was schooling me regarding is that Sabbath is such an important commandment and it's such an important, when the Sabbath is being, when the Sabbath commandment is being transgressed, it's super important that we deal with it because it, because it exposes so much. The Sabbath is an exposing commandment. And, um, and ultimately what the Lord was, was sharing with me was if, um, if you break the Sabbath, it's because you have already broken commandments that precede it. So the commandments that precede number four, number three is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Number two is no carved images. And number one is no gods before me that to break the Sabbath 
especially repeatedly, especially when you know the commandment, that the only way we will do that ongoing is because we've already broken at least one, if not all three of these. Which is why it's such a big deal. It's why it's so um, commonly addressed by the prophets. It's why I believe the Lord brought it to me as the first one to speak about after we prayed for boldness and with an understanding that exposing sin is an act of love. So, um, so let me just speak about my experience being in ministry now for, what, 17 years? Um, doesn't mean anything other than I've observed a lot. I've been able to observe a lot of families. And I can easily say that as it relates to Sabbath, there's, there's almost two categories that every family will eventually settle into. And the first is, is really the, um, the families that have determined and are diligent to put God at the center of every part of their life. One of the, one of the fundamental commitments to the family that has endeavored to do that is they keep the Sabbath. They are committed to keeping the Sabbath. They are committed to the gathering of the saints. They are, um, in fact, um, willing to make Sabbath be the reason they miss everything else that happens on that day. Because that is their number one commitment on that day. Because they have endeavored to put God at the center of their life and this is one of the things God commands. The other side is almost the exact opposite in that there will be almost any reason will be acceptable to miss Sabbath or to forsake the Sabbath or to, in particular, forsake the gathering of the saints. So, so you have really almost two sides that everyone eventually sort of separates themselves into. Either Sabbath and the gathering of the saints is going to be the reason I'm going to miss everything, or I'm going to, I'm going to allow just about anything to per give me permission to miss the gathering of the saints and not honor the Sabbath. And one of the things that... Um, One of the things that uh, last week I finished by mentioning is that to fall into that second category, the category that says I'll, I'll, I'll pretty much miss church for any reason, is never fundamentally because there is a theological debate about Sabbath. It's never fundamentally because there is an issue with the gathering or the people in the gathering. It's not about the timing of the gathering. It's not about the, the distance to get there. That's not the point. Sabbath exposes things, the heart in particular. And if there is a um, forsaking of the Sabbath for light or unimportant reasons, it is almost always because of commandment number three has already been transgressed. So commandment number three is what? Do not take the Lord's name in vain, right? Whereas commandment number four has been the forgotten commandment. 
Commandment number three is the misunderstood commandment or the watered down commandment, which is don't say GD. <laughs> right? Don't don't use the Lord's name as a cuss word. That's just a <laughs> Uh, that's just a misunderstanding of that commandment. All right, so we, we unpacked this one in detail um, a number of years ago. I'll give you the two-minute version of it. This is not a commandment about cussing. This is a commandment about, or the, or the best way to understand this commandment is, um, is to look at it as a marriage and look at the, the taking of the Lord's name being the, uh, the identical um, commitment and decision that Diane made when she became my wife to take my name. Um, that, is, that is specifically what the Lord is talking about here. Do not marry me. This is the God of the Bible speaking. Do not marry me. Do not join yourself to me and take my name in vain. Right? The Bible says that those who are baptized in Christ have put Christ on. We literally become the representatives we become the um the gospel we become the message we become the epistle we become the representative we are clothed in christ covered in christ one with christ joined with christ seated in christ in every other way to be joined to him and so he says you don't do that lightly and so to to do that lightly, he uses the word vain, and the word vain, if we translate it from the original Hebrew, means empty, useless, worthlessness, fraudulently, or with vanity. And with vanity specifically refers to empty or without substance with an overemphasis on outward appearance. So basically the commandment is, if I can, if I can put my spin on it, don't you dare take my name for outward appearances only. What does that sound like? It sounds to me, what's that? Pharisees, absolutely. Sounds to me like Paul warning Timothy, right? Be on guard because perilous times are coming and what's gonna happen during those perilous times? What's that? Let me read it real quick. Second Timothy three. If someone else finds it before me, please read it. Second Timothy three, one through five. So, so to say that um, I keep the Sabbath as, a, as an act of love and as an act of obedience to commandment number four, but to then turn around and basically break that commandment for any simple reason, for any excuse, for any 
competing interest, I would put that in the category of having a form of godliness but denying its power or denying its authority, how the translations say, which means what? To claim or post or declare that I belong to God but to break his commandments for any particular reason essentially is saying it's a form, it's, it's a fraud, it's vanity. And it likely is the outflow or the, or the, the manifestation of the breaking of the third commandment. I'm doing this God thing, but it's just casual. I'm doing this God thing, but only when it doesn't cost anything. I'm doing this God thing, but only when there's nothing competing against it. Unacceptable. Yes, ma'am. Exactly right. Taking the Lord's name in vain, saints, is what leads to recreational Christians that go to recreational church. It's what leads to lukewarm Christians. The ones that Jesus said, I'd just rather you be hot or cold. But the problem is, is that you're representing me. You've joined yourself to me. You've taken my name, but you've done that in vain. You've done that casually. You've done that worthlessly. You've done that only with an outward appearance. So hopefully there's the beginning right now of an understanding of why Sabbath is so big. Why is Sabbath so big? Because it reveals the heart. And one of the things that the transgressing of that commandment will reveal if we have the courage to look, if we fall into that category of uh, I'm going to go to church when there's nothing else to do. But as soon as there's something that competes, something else is gonna win out. There's only one thing that that reveals, or there's at least one thing that that reveals, and that is you're taking God lightly. God, give us eyes to see. And we're commanded not to do that.
We'll, we'll, um, it's probably going to be next week, but we'll ultimately talk about how if there is disobedience in these three, it is always entirely relational. Right? Because the, four, the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. All about it. Our intimacy with God. So if we have a transgressing of commandment number three in particular, that we're just taking God lightly, it is 100% an outflow of a, lack of, of a lack of intimacy. 100%. You can't know and be intimate with the God of the Bible and take him lightly. Cannot. Which actually leads me to point number two. Which is if you have the issue in your life of taking the Lord's name in vain, only the Spirit will allow you to see that if you do. And by the way, every one of us do to some extent. Every one of us do to some extent. This guy takes the Lord way too lightly, way too often. I'm always only preaching to myself today. All right? But the way that I will justify how lightly I take God is by breaking commandment number two, which says what? You don't get to create a God of your own. Do not create a carved image God. So for me over here who constantly takes God too lightly, what is the manifestation of taking God too lightly? Breaking his commandments for simple reasons. Am I talking about a response in the flesh that comes quick and without, without warning? I'm really not talking about that. I'm talking about sin that we've decided upon. You hear the difference? I'm not talking about the flesh being fast to act. We're going to deal with that till the day we die. Right? The divine nature we get to partake in. The divine nature we have moments experiencing. Walking in the spirit is what we're endeavoring to do, but living in the flesh is the reality a lot of the time. Right? So when the flesh reacts, that's sin also, but that's not what I'm talking about. Today we're talking more about decided upon sin. What is decided upon sin? The Bible says the seventh day of the week is holy and set apart unto God. If I am going to ignore that commandment on an ongoing, regular basis, I'm breaking that commandment. And the Bible says that to the men in particular that live in iniquity, he is going to visit the consequences of that sin upon their kids and their kids and their kids' and kids to the third and fourth generation. This is why it's an act of love to deal with it, men. If you're breaking the Sabbath on purpose or regularly, that's a sin and your kids are dealing with it. We're peeling back the onion to say why. One of the reasons might be because you've taken God too lightly. And when I say you, I'm talking to me. So one of the ways that we will always justify taking God too lightly is we just change God. Do we not? Do we not change God to justify our ongoing favorite sins? Absolutely we do. And what's it sound like? God knows my heart. God's going to be okay with me doing this thing because he knows my heart. God knows my family, so he's going to be okay with it. God knows our, God knows our situation. So he's going to give me permission to, to do this. False God. You just broke commandment number two. In addition to number three, in addition to number four. This is why Sabbath is a big deal.
in the reason three, two, four, three, and two are so critical. is because of one. The single most important commandment, the biggest, the center of all of it, is what? Have no other gods before me. It's the most important commandment we can follow. The biggest, the most important. The problem with this commandment the commandment that says, have no other gods before me. All the commandments, by the way, are found in Exodus 21 through 11. Is no one will say that they've transgressed that commandment. Right? Every church-going, pew-sitting member of the body of Christ would, no, none of us would ever admit that we've had gods before God that we have a God before the God of the Bible. It's specifically why we can't look to ourselves, look to our hearts. What does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful, desperately wicked. Feelings are the first and easiest way to be deceived. I feel like the God of the Bible is my God. I feel like the God of the Bible is number one in my life. But how do you know? I'm asking. You got to stick with the word. There's only one way to know if the God of the Bible is number one in your life. Or, or more importantly, there's only one way to know if you have put in or put something else, putting. <laughs> if you're putting something else in front of God, there's only one way to know. What is it? You break his commandment. So, so let's just make sure this aligns with scripture. What does Jesus say is the biggest commandment? The greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, all your resources, all your relationships, all of your recreation, all of your employment. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything you got. Jenna, if you don't remember anything else today, you remember that. That's it. That's the greatest commandment there is. Love God with every part of your life. Put God at the center and love him with everything you got. Right? And then, and then the word says, how do you do that? Right? Because we've had this discussion many times. How do you love an inv invisible God? There's only one way the Bible prescribes to love an invisible God. You know what it is? Keep his commandments. That is how you love an invisible God, saints. It is the only way that you are protected from loving false gods. Because the, the tendency of every individual to, to create a God of their own image is so prevalent. It's so easy. It's so tempting. 
We want to create a God that fits our needs, meets our needs. It's easy to love that God. Easy to love a, a, a false God, a, a carved, Im, carved image God. So the Bible is so perfect. God's wisdom is so good. He says, the way you love me is simple. Keep my commandments. That's, what, that's, how, you know you're gonna, that's how you know you're loving me, says the God of the Bible. That's 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is the love of God, keeping his commandments. So Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God with all you got. Then the scriptures say, by the way, the way you love God is to keep his commandments. So what do we keep his commandments with? All we got. Every part of our life. Everything. Okay, so this becomes super valuable, saints. This becomes the best um, protection, bless you, protection against um, deception in this area is we don't have to look to our heart to see if we have an idol. We don't have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, do you love something more than you love God? All we got to do is look at fruit in our life and in particular, look where we have ongoing disobedience to his commandments. Because everywhere you have ongoing disobedience to his commandments, you will find what? An idol. Everywhere you have ongoing sin and ongoing disobedience, you have an idol. And I have an idol. Okay? So... sounds like it's behind the stage I think it's in the courtyard so um, so this is where this practice becomes super valuable God's calling me to expose the transgressing of commandment number four in step and in alignment with just about all of the Old Testament prophets primary warning to the people of God you're profaning the Sabbath it's a forgotten commandment I recognize that it might be brand new to you guys to hear even about the Sabbath I recognize that is common in the church it's just not common in the Bible I mean it is common in the Bible Okay, so hopefully what the Spirit is helping us all recognize is if we are breaking commandment number four, it's a big deal. And specifically, it's a big deal because it exposes, likely, the transgressing of three other commandments. That you're either taking God's name in vain, which is to say you're taking it lightly or for appearance only. Or you are creating a carved image God that makes your sin okay. Or, and, and most specifically to today's teaching, you have an idol. You have an idol in your life, and, the, and the, the pursuit of that idol is causing you to break a commandment of God. And that's the only way we're ever going to know if we have an idol. You've got to judge the fruit. And there's two idols that I'm to expose today. 
and stick a spear through. And those are the idol of sports and money. So luckily it doesn't affect very many people <laughs> in this country. Anyone remember what profane means? Defiled by what? I probably wouldn't remember either, so I wrote it down. But now I gotta find it. Shoot, where is it? Oh, there we go. Profane means to treat with irreverence abuse or contempt to debase by unworthy or vulgar use and debase means to reduce or degrade in quality or value so the the prophetic warning has always been saints you're profaning the sabbath meaning you are you are devaluing it by what you're doing on it. You can't understand that warning unless you understand the Sabbath. So Spirit, continue to give us wisdom and understanding. The Sabbath is a holy day. It is not fundamentally a rest day. It is fundamentally a holy day. Holy means set apart unto the, unto the Father. Resting on it is one of the ways that we keep it what it is right but fundamentally the commandment is to remember that it's holy so the the charge against the church has always been you're not keeping it that you're not keeping it what holy and set apart unto god well how am i not doing that well you're doing things on it that are common might be work might be sports But the bottom line is if either of those two things cause you to transgress the commandment, it communicates that they are what? An idol. That's what ongoing sin does. Ongoing agreed upon decided upon sin communicates you have an idol or I have an idol so the reason this is such a big deal is because of one of the things that Sabbath is intended to do or created to do or purpose to do or more specifically does is Sabbath reminds us or I'm sorry Sabbath is a sign between us and God and teaches us that is that it is to God that we are being sanctified everyone remember that Exodus 31 Sabbath is a sign oh, let me just read it 
Sabbath is one of those divine things, saints. Remember Paul said the law is spiritual? This is one of those perfect examples. Sabbath is spiritual. It's spirit-derived. It is God-sourced. The origin of Sabbath is God. Not, not Jews, by the way. God is the, the source of the Sabbath. It is spiritual. It is divine. It accomplishes God's purposes and does specific things for God's purposes. So one of the things that he said Sabbath does in Exodus 31... He says, surely my Sabbath you shall keep it. shall be a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Somehow, some way, Sabbath does that. Does what? Reminds you and I that it is to God that we are separated. Somehow, some way, Sabbath reminds you and I that it is to God that we are separated. Right? Meaning we're pulled towards God. Meaning we belong to him meaning he is the center of everything. That's what Sabbath does. So if on Sabbath you are regularly transgressing the keep it holy, keep it set apart, keep it focused on God, what's taking that place? Because whatever is taking it, it's that place, I would argue that's an idol. Why? Because of ongoing sin, knowing Decided upon ongoing sin, justifying it. God-centered God -centered homes have God at the center of their Sabbath. I'm telling you this flat out. Sports-centered homes have sports at the center of their Sabbath. That's the truth. Anyone who spends Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath doing nothing but playing sports, they're being sanctified by sports. They're being set apart unto sports. And sports are the center of their homes, and sports is a god in their home, an idol in their home. That's the truth. And if that's you, dads, all you are teaching your kids is that God is less important than your sport. A hundred percent, that's what you're teaching them. And if you are justifying that, it's because you created a fake Jesus. Jesus says, you follow me, it's going to cost you your whole life. You've created a fake Jesus that says, this game won't even cost you a church service. And that's okay. False Jesus. Got to expose it. I know it's super unpopular. There are, church, there are churches that have built enormous ministries having kids doing sports all day on Saturday. Unacceptable. I pray for repentance because God is not okay with that. Cannot be. So judge the fruit, saints. If you spend every Sabbath playing sports, sports is an idol in your home. You're teaching your kid that God comes second to sports. There's no justification for it. 
and it will bear out in your kids and their kids and their kids. Now here's the truth. Sports are awesome. I love sports. I praise God I was raised playing sports at a time when you could play sports and have some balance in your life. And they weren't going all weekend, every weekend. Back in a time when the weekends were protected and set apart for God, even if it was the wrong day. But I know that's not the case anymore. I know anymore you gotta make a choice. And that's why this is so powerful and so important and so critical to a faithful and real witness. So I'm telling you sons right now, Jackson, Jackson, Sawyer, Cole, every other kid, especially the athletes, you got a big decision to make, you got a choice to make. Because if you wanna be a good athlete, the world is gonna demand you put your sport above God. And it will be hard for your dad to, to not allow that to happen. Because another lie in the church is that it's being a good dad to raise your kid in sports. That that's good parenting. There is not one single word in this entire book that communicates that good dads teach their kids sports. Not one word. Not one word. Basketball's not mentioned, golf's not mentioned, wrestling's not mentioned, soccer's not mentioned, football's not mentioned. No sports are connected to dads being good dads and raising good kids. You know what the Bible does say over and over and over? Dads, teach your kids God's ways and, uh, and encourage them to walk in those ways. That's how you be a good dad. So put aside any of the garbage that says if you want to be a good dad, you got to have your kids in sports. You don't have to. Can you? Absolutely. Am I grateful I grew up playing sports? Yep. I got a freaking knee replacement so I can keep playing games. But that's what they are, guys. They're games. They're games. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how important it is to you. It's a game still. And the God of the Bible is not okay with you putting him behind a game, ever. So if the dads won't make a choice, kids, make a choice. You'll be blessed for it. God will be honored in you for it. And, and sports will find its proper place. Because it's fun and it is a gift to play games. Amen? As soon as your sport causes you to break a commandment, it's an idol. And the longer you allow it to cause you to break commandments, the more of an idol it becomes. And next thing you know, Kobe Bryant's death means more to you than Jesus' death. And you, you know more about Tom Brady than you know about Paul. And you care more about the Phoenix Suns than you do about what God cares about. God's commandments give us 
the perfect opportunity to put these good things in their proper place. Do not hear what I'm not saying. I'm not condemning sports, guys. I'm saying don't ever allow a sport to become an idol. And the only way you will know if it crosses that line is if it caused you to break a commandment. You know what else falls into that same category? Money. And I was going to read a bunch of Solomon today, but I don't think we're going to. I just want to share from my heart about money. I'm scared of money. I'll be totally honest with you. Money scares me. Money scares me for you guys as much as it scares me for myself. Because to the one that becomes rich, forsaking God becomes so easy. So easy, guys. I know that we got some big players in this congregation that are going after big fish. And here's the truth. I'm scared for you. Because anyone who gets rich all of a sudden has endless opportunities to leave God behind. And next thing you know, your boat fills your Sabbath. Or your camper fills your Sabbath. Or your second house fills your Sabbath. Not that you can't have all those things and still honor the Sabbath. Glory to God, you can. I just know how freaking difficult it is. It's super hard. Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for a rich man to be saved. He said it's very hard. So I pray that God give each of us a healthy fear of riches. And if you read Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he basically says this. In chapter 2, he says, I got it all. This is what makes money such a tricky idol because there's always more. And that's the ultimate lie, right? More is what I need. More is what I'm going after. More is what, but more never comes. More is never achieved, right? So that's what makes Solomon so valuable because guess what? He had it all. Solomon had it all. He says in chapter two of Ecclesiastes, I spared myself nothing my eyes wanted. Every pleasure, every toy, every shiny new thing, everything money could acquire, Solomon gave it to himself. And what did he say at the end of it? It's all vanity, meaning it's all temporary. Then he said, anyone who buys, by the way, anyone who desires wealth will never be satisfied. Why? Because you never have enough, if that is your God. Anyone who desires silver will never be satisfied. Anyone who desires abundance will never have it. Abundance is impossible because there's always more. It's what makes Solomon so valuable. He had it all, guys. He had everything that you think you want and I want. And once he had it all, he said, it's 
It's vanity. It's temporary. And then he concludes the entire matter. It's such an awesome verse. Let's do read this one because it's such an awesome verse. Last verse of Ecclesiastes. We're close to it. It is the last one. So the whole book is so valuable. If money is an issue, if money is an idol, if money potentially could be an idol, read Ecclesiastes and read how the guy who had it all finished his, his, um, his teaching, his learning. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So how do you know if money is an idol? If it causes you to break a commandment. Exactly the same with sports. Exactly the same with your spouse. Exactly the same with your job. Exactly the same with any other thing that in and of itself is neutral. Or even good. There's nothing wrong with money. Just like there's nothing wrong with sports. Money is a good thing. Sports are a good thing. I like sports. I like money. And what it allows. I'm grateful for every dime the Lord has given me. I'm grateful for every game I got to play. But the minute my pursuit of either of those two things causes me to break a, a commandment, I've just put it above God. So with money, it's pretty simple as it relates to this teaching. You don't work on the Sabbath. In pursuit of money, you don't work on the Sabbath. Just honor that, saints, and it will keep money in its proper place. Be obedient to what God tells you to do with it, and don't work on the Sabbath. I am confident that you can pursue the things that you are pursuing as long as you keep those two commandments. Because that's how God works. That's how God stays God. That's how God protects us from idolatry. That's how God protects us from these things taking over. So I'm telling the whole church, boldly, bluntly, and plainly, Sports and money are an idol. So if you're convicted by the Spirit of God regarding either of those, I pray that you would repent and bring them into alignment. That God would be honored. In particular on the Sabbath. Amen.